Good morning, everyone. You are now listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson, and I am a drug addict, and I am a victim of sexual abuse. This podcast is for therapeutic reasons, but also for people that believe in some way that they are a victim of some kind of abuse or that they have been wronged in their youth or their entire life. And if you have been, if you have been listening, uh, I normally start off by reading uh, work from some of my favorites. And today, again, we're going to go into Edgar Allan Poe. And this one, I chose this short story because of the nature of the episode, because I do do believe that it does fit. I think you'll understand after I get a little bit into it. But to start things off, I will be reading a, a short piece of the short story, The Fall of the House of Usher, written by Edgar Allan Poe. It was published in Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, September 1839. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of land, and at length found myself as the shades of evening drew on within the view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of that half-pleasurable, because poetic sentiment with which the mind usually receives even the sternest natural images of the desolate or terrible. I looked upon the scene before me, upon the mere house and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the blank walls, upon the vacant eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges and upon a few white trunks of decayed trees with an utter depression of soul, which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to the after-dream of the reveler upon opium, the bitter lapse into everyday life, the hideous dropping off of the veil. There was an iciness, a sinking, a sickening of the heart, an unredeemed dreariness of thought which no goading of the imagination could torture into aught of the sublime. What was it? I paused to think. What was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the house of Usher? It was a mystery all insoluble, nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered. 
I was forced to fall back upon the unsatisfactory conclusion that while beyond doubt there are combinations of very simple natural objects which have the power of thus affecting us, still the analysis of this power lies among considerations beyond our depth. It was possible, I reflected, that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene, of the details of the picture, would be sufficient to modify or perhaps to annihilate its capacity for sorrowful impression. And acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous brink of a black and lurid tarn that lay in unruffled luster of the dwelling and gazed down. But with a shudder, even more thrilling than before, upon the remodeled and inverted images of the gray sedge and the ghastly tree stems and the vacant eye-like windows. Nevertheless, in the mansion of gloom, I now proposed to myself a sojourn of some weeks. Its proprietor, Roderick Usher, had been one of my boon companions in boyhood, but many years had elapsed since our last meeting. A letter, however, had lately reached me in a distant part of the country, a letter from him which in its wildly purportant nature had admitted of no other than a personal reply. The MS gave evidence of nervous agitation. The writer spoke of acute bodily illness, of a mental disorder which oppressed him, and of an earnest desire to see me as his best and indeed his only personal friend with the view of attempting by the cheerfulness of my society some alleviation of his malady. It was the manner in which all this and much more was said. It was the apparent heart which went with his request, which allowed me no room for hesitation. And I accordingly obeyed forthwith, and I still considered a very singular summons. That was the opening of a short story written by Edgar Allan Poe, titled The Fall of the House of Usher. The subject of today's episode is about something that I called, or I call the damned. Now, this is something this is a new topic that had come up. And full disclosure, I was the one who brought it up. But in group therapy, we were talking about socialization and the connective tissue between us. And as usual, it was a reference to the relationships about being human. But the thing is, is that in the United States of America, and although I am well-traveled, I cannot speak in great depth about other countries, but being born and raised here, this being the place where I was raped and molested, this is where I was educated, this is where I worked. In North America, in the United States of America, 
there are always people that are on the margin. In going into psychology and psychiatry and experimental design, I learned that under President Ronald Reagan, there was a what's called a deinstitutionalization throughout the United States of America. This was not really just a Republican political philosophy. It was, a, um, I suppose, inevitable end to a system that was considered to be draconian. Ronald Reagan stopped funding uh, with the use of federal money the mental institutions that held the people that were less desirable among our society. And when I was in school, I had remembered doing quite a few papers and going through some case studies. I will not go through all of them now. But it was very, well, I was surprised at how many families just kind of let children or family members just kind of disappear into these institutions. There was even a story about the Kennedy family, and there was mention of it from John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy about one of their sisters. She had been given a lobotomy, and it, would, it had been authorized by the father. And she eventually just went into one of these institutions, and that is where she lived her life. So there's always going to be a city within a city within a city. There's always going to be a state within a state within a state. It's a little bit more than saying that, well, this person's a little bit off. There's something wrong with their body. There's something wrong with their mind. They don't seem to be normal. And even though we do not publicly try to define normal, that's exactly what we do. In our own way, we we do try to define what is normal, and that is the metric in which we use to say to somebody that you're more than welcome. You can stay as long as you wish. Or, I'm afraid you're going to have to leave. We're going to have to put you somewhere, and it really doesn't matter if you like it or not. You're going to be there for a very long time if you don't adapt. You're just going to die either way. I do not remember the particulars of the many case studies, but it was common practice in the mid-20th century, early to mid-20th century, to just put these people away. 
under the DSM-3, things like gender dysphoria and homosexuality, these things were considered to be mental disorders, mental illness. And that is why the DSM-4 was seen as a evolution to a better science, to a better place, more accepting. But there were people in experimental design that thought that it was a little bit too political. That the APA was just trying to big, build a much bigger tent, a much bigger umbrella to cover everybody. The drug companies were filing more and more requests to get drugs that were able to go from one illness to another. If at once the drug was meant to help with insomnia, then they got it registered so it could be prescribed to deal with bipolar. And then they would reapply and get it accessed and prescribed for anxiety. It was almost like a business model a mom-and-pop store that became a multinational rather quickly. The growing pains, they were quick and severe. And when I thought about today's episode, and I thought about my own discussion starting the group, and it did get a little bit heated about being on the margin, because obviously there were guys in the group. This is the group that is the adult survivors of childhood sex abuse. Everybody in the group has been raped. But some of the guys got offended when I said that we were of the margin. They didn't see themselves that way. And they most certainly didn't agree with the term the damned. Because depending on what definition you use, being damned is about being called bad, evil, condemned to hell. But the definition that I had used in school was for those people excluded from society, either through their own behavior or something done to them by something that had been done to them by someone else that altered them forever. And their reaction to this was no fault of their own. You see, none of us asked to be raped. None of us wanted to be molested. But when is it exactly? What is the point at which you stop having the ability to blame the violator and then you start blaming yourself? 
I'm no longer in seventh grade. And yet everything that I've done in the past year and a half has been for nothing because, well, you may have noticed that uh, I didn't mention Narcotics Anonymous, and that's because I've gone back to using. And I have to tell you, I don't feel real bad about it. There isn't a lot of guilt. Because going back to being numb is much better than feeling. Because I do feel like I will always be on the outside. When I was in high school, I felt a close connection to Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, especially the Calamus poems. But the reason that I read The Fall of the House of Usher for you today is because, and I'm not trying to say that Edgar Allan Poe was a doctor or back then he would have been considered an alienist, but to go into the human condition, to go into the depression, to talk about Roderick, and then you can re you can read the rest of the story yourself. But the idea that somebody believes that they are condemned to suffer. I had done an earlier episode about learning to suffer. because there's no reason to fight it. When you have been raped, when you have been molested, and you go into a series of life choices that are all bad, you just make things worse. And here recently, I ended a relationship with a woman And I had to tell her the truth about the fact that I was just afraid because I'm really no good at being in love. And the fact is, is that I had fallen in love with her and I didn't know what to do with it exactly. I didn't know how to behave. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with it. Lust, sex, the physical, that's easy. Your own instincts kick in. It doesn't take you very long to figure out what goes where and what to do with it. But it is the emotional. It is, the, it is the part of what we are that allows us to get hurt to a point where this isn't like um, a bruised shoulder that you get in hockey or a jammed finger or a twisted ankle in football or uh, you, get a, you get a sprain trying to stretch a double into a triple. Your body is going to recover and there are things that you can take 
to alleviate the pain when it's at its worst. But the thing is, the reason that I call myself damned, it's not because I think that I'm evil. I just don't feel a connection to you. After seventh grade, everything seemed to be foreign. Even though I would see people that I had seen before, I was looking at them through different eyes. And you can't imagine how hard it is to keep that secret, to carry it with you. That is why the group is so important. There is no judgment there. And I understand that maybe I did cause a bit of a problem in the last session. But we are to talk about things. I mean, I understand that I've, I know I'm back using and Right now, I have no intention of trying to quit. But what is the utility of therapy if you're not going to talk about the way you feel, the way that life is? The, what you have become. I know it's just a short story. I understand that. I mean, maybe I am crazy, but I'm not stupid. But Roderick Usher really believed that his family was condemned. And when his only friend came and looked upon the house and the land, It was just a metaphor for what was happening to the house of Usher. The brother and the sister infected with something that they were born into. And that's exactly what happened to me. Because that summer after seventh grade, I had been reborn, but I had been reborn a victim. And it was something I didn't choose. I didn't tell my parents to breed. I didn't choose to be born. I didn't choose to look the way that I do. I didn't choose to be born in this time. I didn't choose to be born in this place, in this kind of world. Because thinking back to when Reagan got rid of all those institutions, people really believed that it was for the betterment of our society, that these people should not be just thrown away, they should be given a chance to live some kind of normal life. But as always, what is it, what do you do with it? I have come to the conclusion that this is probably going to be the best that I can be 
And I am quite miserable. When I get high, I'm not saying that I feel normal. I'm saying I don't feel miserable. And that should be up to me. It shouldn't be up to us. It shouldn't be up to an agency. It shouldn't be up to a doctor. That should be up to me. That should be up to the individual. Because in order for you to understand exactly what I'm feeling, you'd have to go through exactly what I did, and I don't want you to do that. I do believe that the men in the group are on the margin. People may feel sorry for us, but there are so many of us. There is something fundamentally wrong with the human condition because the things we tolerate define us. People look the other way. They're glad it happened to you and not to them. My coping skills are found in illicit drugs, but what is it for you? Do you put on more makeup? Do you buy clothes? Do you have casual sex? Do you drive too fast? Are you an adrenaline junkie? You can't live without it. But many of you are considered to be normal. So you can stay. Or what if I don't want to stay? Well, that's really all I have for today's episode. I'm not really sure I'm going to be treated the next session. But I don't really care. You have been listening to the podcast, The Leaves for a Victim Nevermore, with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson. May you be a blessing, and may you find serenity. <laughs>